Welcome to Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. Masculine tops, power bottoms, butch girls, femboys, bears, otters, unicorns. There's no shortage of labels that queer people use to describe different sexual identities and preferences. But how do we navigate that horny, thorny path between realizing we're queer and deciding which boxes to check when filling out our dating profiles? Fruit Bowl features first-person stories that explore the unique ways we develop our sexual identities by sharing the sometimes messy, always fascinating, real-life sex histories of queer people. Our first introduction to sex, the embarrassing moments we'd like to forget, and the reliable bedroom moves that we've discovered along the way. Basically, all the stuff we wish we'd known when we first came out. Interviews are edited for clarity and brevity because we all know how much we love to talk about ourselves. Thanks for listening. Let's begin. Welcome to the premiere episode of Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. I'm Dave, your host and the creator of Fruit Bowl. And today I'm joined by my co-host for this episode, Sam. Welcome, Sam. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming today and holding my hand with me as we embark on this crazy journey. And just for starters, for our listeners today, I want you to just describe to our listeners where we are today. We are recording in your closet, which is ironic. Um, And it's larger than I thought it would be. We can fit in here pretty comfortably. It's not like we're sitting on the floor underneath lots of clothing. Um, there's some posters on the walls of drag queens. There's a really fantastic picture of Dave and some other people at maybe a college? High High school. school. (laughs) (laughs) High school graduation. That, the photograph is sitting on top of my water heater. Yeah. Which is also in the closet. With us. With us. There's also some kind of musical instrument. I'd like to say it's a flute. <laughs> it's in a case. Uh... It's actually the case for my shotgun oh, microphone. that makes more sense. <laughs> it's my microphone. Uh, the shirts are a variety of colors and patterns and prints. And there's also a pink silky kimono. And a lot of plaid. <laughs> yes, well, this is... <laughs> <laughs> this is Seattle, so there's a lot of plaid. Yeah. Um, we should probably mention that we're recording in Seattle. In a closet in Seattle. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, yeah. So we'll, we're going to d- discuss more about the context of why we're in a closet and what this project is in a little bit. But I do want to just mention that this is the first time I've ever tried to make a podcast. So I really don't know what I'm doing. And... This is why we're not renting out a professional sound booth. Um, And also for our listeners, this format might change as our series progresses. Uh, I want to kind of look at it almost like it's the first season of RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that, listener, but it was pretty scrappy. Um, Wasn't quite the production it is now, but like most TV shows or series, uh, the first season's always a little bit wonky and we're trying to figure things out in its essence it's a conversation about queer sex which is a difficult conversation to have at times it's one that is a loaded subject often and it's one that the straight community often doesn't want to have so we're going to just try and do this and um who knows maybe it might be something and um if not we will have tried yes Here's to trying. Here's to trying. Yes. So what exactly are we going to listen to? Well, I will tell you. Um, These interviews were conducted 
by me, and they were originally intended for use in a feature documentary film. So the interviews themselves are less a conversation between myself and the other person and more of a monologue. So imagine maybe if you listen to NPR, the StoryCorps series or the Moth series, which is also a popular podcast in that it's mostly people speaking about their own experience and stories without much of a interruption from the interviewer. The questions themselves are very much oriented towards the coming of age of each queer person. I did ask the same questions for each interview, and we'll discuss more in detail what those questions were and why I asked them when we come back from the break. But for now, Sam is just going to introduce our first interviewee, Jason. He's a custom furniture maker, massage therapist, and amateur porn impress... impress <laughs> impresario. Impresario. Living here in Seattle. That's a nice word for a maker of porn. Not someone who is impressing everyone professionally. <laughs> Although he does do that. So, you know, maybe it means both. <laughs> so we'll be right back after we listen to Jason. My name's Jason, I'm 47, and I'm from Dallas, Texas. I know my parents didn't really do much of a burdens and bees uh, type <laughs> talk with me, so I had to figure it out just from friends. I knew that I liked to look at guys, and I liked to think about guys, but I did not know that made me gay. I, I did not know that until college. Well, I, I think I started messing around with a friend of mine when I was 12 mostly kissing in our treehouse. It was pretty high up and it had walls so we could do pretty much anything we wanted. We would just kiss and make out and, and touch each other. You know, I don't, I just like heavy petting. I, I didn't know what else to do at the time. <laughs> and then, uh, I don't know, it seems like a lot of friends I had uh, would spend the night and we'd end up blowing each other, making out and then never talking about it the next day. And we all had girlfriends so I assumed that Everybody did that with their friends, and that didn't make me gay. I, I just didn't know. <laughs> Came from a very, very conservative religious household that didn't talk about things like that. But I don't know. I, it never felt that crazy or dangerous to me because I, I didn't really know it was that wrong. And it just seemed like everyone, uh, everyone that came over wanted to do something like that. <laughs> I just thought it was a normal activity. Maybe it is. Maybe everybody does that and they just don't talk about it. Well, I, we didn't have the internet growing up, so I had to rely on um, magazines. And I think the first introduction I had to what sex looked like was from some uh, adult magazines I found. At home. My parents had converted the garage into their master bedroom and so I got the real master bedroom and uh, the medicine cabinet came out of the wall. And when I opened it up I found that there was a treasure trove of other dirty magazines and I was going to hide uh, a book that I had bought at 14. I ordered it actually from some mail order company, I sent it to a friend's house under his mom's name because she worked late. And then after school, every day, I would go there and wait for the mail to come. I never told my friend. I never told his mom. I just figured if they caught it, 
I, they wouldn't know it was me <laughs> that ordered it, but I saw it. I threw it in my backpack and ran home with it. It was the dumbest book. It was a glossy photograph book called Boyfriends, and it was gauzy pictures of men on beaches with lace draped over them. There was nothing sexy about it. I'm not even sure there was nudity, but I was excited to get it. I put that book in the woods. Like I looked at it for a few days, and then I just threw it in the woods by the house because I didn't know what to do with it. It was a huge like coffee table book. It was not a really good thing to order to like hide and be surreptitious with. But I had no place to hide it because my dad was hiding porn in my hiding place that I thought I had discovered. It, even some hardcore stuff, no, no, nothing gay, uh, just guys and girls. And uh, <laughs> when, when I found them, uh, I would block out the girls with like pieces of paper so I could just look at the guys. <laughs> I never told him until uh, one time when I was a senior in high school, he was yelling at me about something I had done. Uh, I think I had had some friends over and we watched an R-rated movie. And uh, <laughs> he was very disappointed. And that's when I brought up the fact that he had hardcore porn. And then he made a deal with me that he wouldn't ground me if I didn't tell. And I said, well, then you should keep that porn where it is. <laughs> and he did. So it was fine. <laughs> uh, well, I grew up in White Rock Lake, which is like central Dallas. Um, I actually um, gave my first blowjob to a stranger at a bathroom at White Rock when I was probably 15. Well, I was... Um, uh, riding my bike around the lake, and I had to stop in and, and use a restroom. I didn't know about cruising or anything like that. I, I did notice that that bathroom always seemed to have like people in it. Um, so I just parked my bike, went inside, and um, went up to the urinal, started to pee, and then uh, a, a guy came to the urinal next to me, and and um, but he wasn't peeing, like he was just stroking his dick, and. Uh, I got very excited. <laughs> I was probably 15, and he must have been 23, but he seemed like a, you know, an older man, an adult. And he was really furry, and uh, I reached out and touched it, and he just pushed me to my knees, and I blew him, and it was really exciting. It was like the best day of my life, and then when we were done, I asked if we could hang out. <laughs> maybe go see a movie I didn't know and he said that his uh, wife wouldn't like that too much and like sped off in his car so it was my first introduction to like cruising and uh, people being secretive and it was exciting I loved it and I rode my bike there a lot um, yeah. <laughs> not always successful but sometimes um, yeah <laughs> I was, I, I was hooked. <laughs> I ended up living with uh, my partner, Matt, for 10 years in a house, maybe five minutes from where the house I grew up in. And we lived directly across the street from that bathroom. So it was like coming home. <laughs> there was an experience I had that was embarrassing because of how far I let it go without putting my foot down. Um, I met a guy on Grindr, I think, and uh, this was back in Dallas, probably 10 or 12 years ago. And um, 
he was attractive. He was really actually handsome and muscular and, and uh, um, probably early 30s and uh, wanted to get together, have some fun. I don't tend to ask a lot of questions <laughs> on the apps if, if, if we're both looking and we live close. Like I, I figure we'll just figure out what to do uh, when I get there. But so I got to his house. He has a really nice house. He's, he is attractive. He's actually more attractive than his pictures. So that was exciting. And uh, I walked into his bedroom, which was covered in balloons, like all over the floor, balloons. Um, but not with helium. They're just like laying around the floor like he'd had a party a few days ago and they had all just kind of fainted. So uh, I didn't really think that much about it because I thought, well, maybe he just had a party and didn't clean up. So we're getting undressed. And while we're getting undressed, he asks if I wouldn't mind walking over, picking up a red balloon and, and popping it. <laughs> so I said, okay. I walk over, pop the balloon, uh, and he gets very excited. He's very happy. He's, he's gleeful that I had done that. Uh, so uh, he asked if I'll do another one and another and another. So I did that. I thought, well, I, I had never heard of anything like that. Um, and, and I... I guess in my head, I thought I was just helping him clean up. I didn't, I didn't even know that that was a fetish. So, um, <laughs> so I'm walking around popping balloons. Then he asks me to sit on a few. He had some larger ones, like almost the size of yoga balls. And he wanted me to sit on those until they popped. Um, so I said, yes, I, I tried. I was completely naked at this point. And uh, he was really excited and he was really attractive. So... Um, you know, I'm usually game for almost anything if it's going to make someone excited and, and we're going to have a good time. So I sit on, a, on a, this big balloon and it's squeezing everywhere and it's really hard to make one of those pop. And it's also nerve wracking because I knew that I was going to like fall over and hit the floor naked. So I finally got it to pop and I did fall on the floor and it, and it like thrilled him to no end. Um, so he asked me to do it again. I did it again. I don't even know how many I did, but in my head, I thought this was going to lead to having sex with this like attractive guy. <laughs> so I kept doing it. Uh, finally, uh, I, he had me in all sorts of various positions, popping balloons, biting them, blowing them up, and then until they pop, which is really terrifying. Like a balloon stretches really far before it explodes. Um, I only did that once, and then I told him I, did, I didn't want to do that again because it was. I don't know. It was killing my mood. <laughs> so uh, finally he beckons me to the bed and I think, oh, we're going to have sex. This is going to be great. Um, so we get on the bed and I go to touch him <laughs> and he looks at me and he says, oh, that's not really my thing. I don't really, I just, if we could just like roll around on these balloons and, and feel the latex on our skin and won't that be amazing? And I was like, I, I don't, Sure, we'll try that. So I <laughs> am in bed naked, rolling around with this guy, but not touching him on balloons. I don't even like the smell of latex at all. Um, so finally, after five minutes, I ask him if it's going to lead to sex. And he says no. Like, that's his thing. Like, he just wants to roll around on balloons and touch them, which is fine. But I, I just got up. I put my clothes back on, which is always, like, the most awkward thing when you're having to put shoes and socks and, you know, it's a whole production and, and you just literally will just want to run out the door. And uh, I just looked at him and I said, you know, I, I'm happy that you found this thing that you love, but 
possibly you should tell people before they come over that you're not actually going to have sex with them because I think that people expect that when you hook up. And uh, <laughs> he didn't really say anything, so I, I did. I got my clothes on and I ran out the door. And he messaged me for the next month every day asking me to come back over. said it was the most fun he'd had. And I'm guessing it's because I'm a... <laughs> I'm just a sucker, and I stayed way too long and way longer than anybody else would have put up with. Um, but I, you know, I, and, and then finally I did have another conversation with him on online, just explaining that I didn't want to do that. That wasn't my thing. It was not fun for me. And I noticed a couple of months later he did have balloons in his profile. In his picture he was standing in a pile of balloons, and his little name on Grinder was just balloons. So I, I think that I've made the world a better place. <laughs> I'm, I'm mostly a top and it takes me a very long time to, um, to come when I'm fucking. So uh, the, the guys I'm, I'm with generally enjoy the fact that I can go a really long time and I, and I like to, I don't know, this is so weird to talk about. <laughs> I, uh, um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I just like to pound hard and I can do it for a long time and people seem to enjoy that. I guess I'm just really oral because I really love to give head to, and I, I don't know. I, I have a lot of reports of people saying they don't come from blowjobs, <laughs> and uh, and I tend to get them to uh, to to come. So uh, I feel like that is a that's an honor. <laughs> I really love to eat ass, and uh, I love to rim for a long time. And uh, I just discovered the other day that if you weigh about 140 pounds and you're quite small, I can pick you up uh, by the legs and just hold you to my face and hang you upside down. Um, and that was really fun. <laughs> so he was like 5'6 and probably 140 pounds, if, if that. Um, and I, I, I generally am with bears and like cubby guys, so it was um, it was different to be with somebody so light that you could like pick up and throw around. So he was bent over his bed, and I was behind him uh, on my knees eating his ass. And I realized I could hook my legs, like my arms, under his thighs. And as I stood up, he just came up with me, and his ass was like right in my face, and he could suck my dick hanging from my forearms. I have done things like that before, but the people have been supported by, by their arms or some on the head of a bed or over a sofa. I've never uh, suspended somebody in air. <laughs> I left that guy's house. He was super cute and super fun, and he had a great time. And I was feeling really self-confident and like I had done a great thing. And as I was leaving his place, he lives in a, um, a basement apartment with a very low door. And as I was leaving and telling him I had a great time, I creamed my forehead on the top of his door and fell into his kitchen. And uh, <laughs> I think I got a concussion because I was walking around his backyard for maybe 45 seconds looking for the gate. So much so that when I got into my car, he had already texted me to ask if I was okay. So that's good first impression, I guess. I'm really clumsy <laughs> in life and in bed. So there's been a lot of like standing up in bed and hitting my head on ceiling fans and falling off the bed, ruining the moment. There's a lot of pouring poppers up noses. Um, 
chipping teeth. <laughs> it's it's a roller coaster if you get in bed with me. You never know. I, I probably should date like a, a masochist. Because <laughs> you'll probably end up with bruises. <laughs> if someone is not necessarily into me or into you, just move on to the next one. It's not worth uh, putting yourself through hell trying to get laid with someone who isn't into it. You know, I think I spent a lot of time chasing after people who uh, weren't that interested. And then when I finally convinced them to do it, it wasn't that great. Just focus on the ones who are into it and you'll have a much better time. <laughs> I could tell my present day self <laughs> that same advice. I mean, I'm recently single. <laughs> so if you want to get black and blue <laughs> and have your ass eaten, give me a call. So Sam, what did you think? Well, did you learn anything useful? I learned a lot. <laughs> I took two pages of notes, small pages, but still two pages of notes. Is there a move that you can maybe try out? I am definitely not strong enough to hold someone, really just to hold someone in any position. I can't really hold anyone up. So I think if I really worked on my like um, lifting weights game that is non-existent and never going to be a thing for me, then I could do his move. Yeah, it's a pretty complex move, and it's one that's kind of difficult to articulate on a podcast um, <laughs> when you don't have some visual aids uh, to assist in the sort of this, the telling of the method. As far as the questions that I ask, I should probably mention now that his describing that was the result of me asking, what is your best move in bed? That's one of my seven or eight questions that I ask all of my interviewees. Well, I'm impressed. <laughs> Anything else strike you? A lot of stuff. Um, I've listened to the interview about 30 times, so <laughs> I've lost all perspective. Maybe it's a generational difference. There were like a lot of those. Um, mm -hmm. He's 40 something. Yes, late so, 40s. So I'm like a little over 10 years younger than he is. So mm -hmm. not a ton, but like really major differences. Um, and it also probably has to do with geography. So um, it's yeah. out, he was in Texas. Yes, yeah, so he came of age in Dallas. Yeah. And it was pre-internet. Mm -hmm. So is that kind of what you're describing in well, terms of the change? Yeah, like that's one of the things, but also like the terminology mm. of what does gay mean? Um, I feel like I had a pretty good idea of what it meant. Oh, right. In you're describing what in early in his interview, he said he didn't really consider himself gay. Yeah. 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 And like, you know, he just thought that this is what people did because everyone who came over wanted to do that with him, which I think is um, very flattering for him <laughs> that he had that experience. Um, and I think you're right. It probably does have a little to do with the fact that he was raised in Texas mm -hmm. where there's a you know, a masculinity myth, to put it nicely. Yeah. And I can say this because I actually lived for four years in, in Dallas uh, when I went to undergraduate school. That whole description of his cruising in the bathrooms at White Rock Lake, <laughs> it's really weird to hear him talk about that because when I was attending 
Southern Methodist University in Dallas, I actually went to White Rock and cruised a little bit. It was a little bit past the point in my life where I was really interested in cruising, Mm. but I did just sort of happen upon it one day, kind of like the way Jason describes. And there was a very big cruising culture there in the public restrooms at White Rock Lake. I'm I'm sure that now it's a little different what with the advent of apps and and hooking up online. So there's not as much of like a need for cruising culture, but uh yeah, certainly in the early 90s it was very thriving. I have zero experience with cruising mm-hmm. and zero skills in that area and not much interest in it because of the advent of apps where I'm able to do the opposite of what Jason said. He was like, we figure out if we're interested, we figure out we're close by, done. I have like a really long list that I go through um, of making sure that we're on the same page about a lot of things. And so I can't actually imagine what cruising would be like because there wouldn't be, I would imagine there wouldn't be that opportunity for that kind of discussion. Not really, no. Yeah. So I think I actually think so. like late high school, I cruised a lot where I grew up in, in Kansas and the culture of cruising was very much about anonymity mm. and not knowing your partner and being able to just walk away after it was over. And a lot of it was very, sometimes it was full sex, but usually it was just like a little oral and then you part ways, you know, so there wasn't a lot of like intense body fluids being exchanged. (laughs) So yeah, but I totally understand what you're saying about wanting to be on the same page. And, and when you're hooking up and making sure everybody knows what the deal is, that is certainly an attractive part of the apps now. And like, when he was talking about uh, cruising in the bathroom at the urinals. I was like, so they weren't in a stall. Like I was trying to picture the scene and I was like, was it right next to the door? Was there like a little, little courtesy wall in between the stalls that they could like sort of be behind. And then I decided, I bet there weren't any walls at all. And it was right out in the open. And whether or not that's what happened, that's what I decided is what happened. (laughs) And then I was like, he said it was really busy. So, like, did people just come in and watch or go to the bathroom and pretend there wasn't anything happening? Or (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, exactly. It was hard to picture it, but kind of a fun exercise. (laughs) Well, I think one of the attractive aspects of cruising was the unpredictability of it and Mm -hmm. the danger. You know, so some people would just like perform oral sex, like in the common area of a bathroom or maybe by the urinals. But other people would go inside the stalls and have more privacy. Yeah. But on a lot of public parks, especially at that time, they had like stalls that were halfway. Oh, right. There. And the whole purpose of that was to discourage public sex inside the stalls. So and some bathrooms, of course, were more popular than others based on their their location and the amount of people who who would go in there normally. Mm-hmm. Usually it's in a, a more... Off the beaten path? Yes, exactly. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, usually off the beaten path. A bathroom that's probably pretty skeezy um, that normal people would never want to go inside and touch <laughs> touch anything. So, and again, that, that may sort of have contributed to the, the danger aspect of it. Yeah. So. 
And that makes perfect sense because I am not a danger-seeking individual. <laughs> right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, the balloon popping business, again, that would have been, from my perspective, something that we discussed on the app beforehand. <laughs> um, but, but what would you have done if you'd have just walked inside somebody's room and there were balloons everywhere? Would you just turn around and walk out? No, I'd want to know why they were there, and I'd <laughs> kick them a lot, because I find balloons on the floor very exciting to kick. Not exciting in a sexual way, but there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not my thing. But would you do it if somebody did feel like it was sexual? <laughs> would you do it as a way of, of sort of fulfilling their fantasy? Probably not, because I actually hate balloons. <laughs> I hate that they could pop at any moment. The fact that he was sitting on them and having them pop underneath him, wouldn't it hurt him somehow? Like, <laughs> Especially if you're naked. Right. Like, And he said, he was like, and at that point, I was naked. And I was like, okay, <laughs> what is happening to your body? It's getting exploded on. Like, something bad's going to happen. Especially the one where it was blow it up until it explodes. I would never do that. Ever, ever, ever. That is scary. Yeah. Yeah, I would not like that. But, you know, if it were something as benign as balloons seem to be for other people, <laughs> I would probably, like, entertain the idea of doing whatever. But I can understand feeling a little shortchanged if you go and you don't end up having any sex at all. Yeah. And that's that's something I hadn't thought of before... Jason and I had that conversation. I was mm. like, oh, yeah, I guess for people who are really into their kink, actually having intercourse is not always on the menu. Yeah. It's really definitions. Mm -hmm. You know, like it, sex means different things to different people. A hookup is even more vague. That means a lot of things to a lot of different people. So yep. I can definitely, <laughs> I can understand why he was surprised and why the guy was like, what? This is what we're doing. Right. And I will say that by doing this series, I've learned a lot about um, how the internet has changed us as queer people in terms of us connecting and knowing what will happen and what our partners are into or not into. I feel like that whole conversation has changed so much because of the apps. And it's a theme that's going to come up again and again. Uh, during the course of this uh, series. Um, and then the last thing I was just going to say is I loved how he was talking and talking, and then he just totally acknowledged how weird it is to talk about these things. <laughs> I really appreciated that. That was so genuine. Yeah. Um, not that the rest wasn't, but, like, really real for a second. Like, by the way, this is weird, but, <laughs> okay, let's keep going. It is weird. Yeah, but I think what I think that's weird, and that's also what makes it so great. Queer people don't often have these conversations with each other, and they're important conversations. And I I've learned a lot, not only just about people's sex moves, <laughs> but about yeah how different or how much our culture is changing and how fast it's changing. Um, that's another theme that kind of pops up. Or you had someone interview you. Mm -hmm. Um. And I think that's actually a really important thing to do. Yeah, my interview will be coming up in a future episode. Yeah, so like we're all totally vulnerable and so is Dave. Right. I'm not going to ask anybody a question that I'm not willing to also answer. Production of Fruit Bowl is supported in part by Hump Film Fest. 
bringing audiences a new kind of porn since 2005. Hump's carefully curated short film program is a cornucopia of body types, ages, shapes, colors, sexualities, genders, kinks, and fetishes, all united by a shared spirit of sex positivity. Hump is a celebration of creative sexual expression, and you'll be touched by the sincerity and vulnerability in which these films are lovingly made. The 14th annual Hump Film Festival is now touring to over 50 cities across the US and Canada in 2019. Get your tickets for Hump in a city near you at humpfilmfest.com. Welcome back to Fruitball. Welcome back. And now we're going to go into our second interview, which is Sam's interview. Ooh. Are you excited? Yes, and nervous. Yes. I haven't heard this in a while. I don't know 100% what I said, but I bet it's great. It's very informative. So let's get into it. My name's Sam. I'm 35, and I'm from Boston. I was around age four when my dad had the talk with me. So I personally don't remember what my dad said specifically, but what I do remember is that he told me, he must have told me everything because I knew about periods. And so my mom was like getting a pad or something out of the hallway closet. And I was like, I don't know, four, three or something. And I was like, do you have your period? And my mom was just like, I, I don't really want to talk about that right now. Honestly, that's the only part I remember. My mom was like, did you have to tell our kid all of that? And he was like, I just want to get it all, all done. But the way that I remember learning about sex is from this book. <laughs> and it's called, Where Did I Come From? And I actually found it online like a couple months ago and I got a copy of it because I love it so much. So I'm happy to show you that if you want. But it's like, it's all these cartoony, cute people and it's super hetero. Um, and one of my favorite, favorite parts of it is where it's like, well, if, ha if I think they call it making love. If making love feels so good, then why don't you do it all day long? And then they were like, it's kind of like jumping rope. <laughs> it's fun, but you can't do it all day long. <laughs> but yeah, I remember looking through that book a lot once I was a lot older and being like, oh, it was like, when two people love each other very much. And it's like this cute little, like almost twin size bed with a patchwork quilt. Oh, look. Um, and like the mom and the dad and they're all snuggled. And it's like, when two people wanna be really close, there's one way where they can be as close as humanly possible. <laughs> Well, we had sex ed in school, but like I didn't really do any extra exploration. What I do remember though, was in eighth grade, we were doing the school musical and it was like a big deal that everyone in the class did the school musical. So we were all hanging out before um, rehearsal one day. And this one kid was like, I heard that Marilyn Manson masturbated on stage. And everyone was like, ooh. And I was like, I don't know what that means. Ooh, I don't know. And then I, I remember this very clearly. That day I went home, I took the dictionary off of my shelf and I looked up masturbate and I was like, oh.
prior to college, I identified as a straight girl. So I saw representations of heteronormative attraction everywhere because that's our culture. Um, and so it didn't take any seeking out. You know, I had a massive crush on Leonardo DiCaprio, just like everyone else. I had a massive crush on um, Johnny Depp, uh, all this stuff. And then um, I never actually did anything because I was too shy. Um, not that I had a chance with Johnny Depp or Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, I think I probably had a different experience than um, a lot of cisgender gay men um, as a transmasculine person who is also attracted to masculinity. Uh, the things that I was seeing out in the world in terms of what I should be attracted to, I was attracted to. I remember in middle school, I found some Playboy magazines in our attic and I would go up there every day and look at these magazines. Um, but what was interesting was that I wasn't at all attracted to the women in them. I just was like excited that this was illicit material, you know, like getting a taste of like something adult. Why don't they have Playgirl? They do. They do? Yeah. Well, my, I don't know who collected these magazines. <laughs> I, if I had known about that, I wouldn't have needed the internet. <laughs> yeah. We had like this old dial-up modem and it would take the phone line and I had to only do that when no one else was home because we had one computer in the middle of the house and it was not private. And so like, it took a lot of patience. I think people nowadays just think porn is really fast, but no, when you had to wait like that, it kind of built up. Um, so yeah, I knew from the first, you know, times that I started feeling sexual attraction at all that I was attracted to cisgender men. So there's a lot of porn out there. Um, and I found myself just finding all the gay stuff because that was awesome. Um, and I, I didn't put myself in it. I was just like, that is the hottest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, also like I hadn't been around naked cisgender men hardly ever at all. Like I remember when I was super like tiny, my parents would walk around naked like from the bathroom after a shower to get dressed, like whatever. But besides that, like I hadn't seen a peen in real life and um, porn was really a beautiful way for me to <laughs> explore those kinds of bodies. I'm trying to remember the early days of porn. <laughs> I had, uh, through transition, I had a healthy appetite for, <laughs> for porn. Um, early stuff, I remember actually the early stuff, it was easier to load things that were written. Um, pictures and videos, like that stuff took forever to load. So I actually got really into reading stories that people had written um, and put online. And the stuff that I still find most exciting is the real stuff stories that someone would recount from an experience that they had or whatever, like that was really exciting. And maybe there'd be like one picture that would maybe load. Um, and that was super exciting. And then when I went to college is when I discovered female masculinity and the fact that girls could look a lot like 
boys and that's when things started shifting for me. I saw um, tons of representations of queer women sexuality. So I saw a ton of super butch female identified people. I saw a good handful of trans masculine people. I met a bunch of gender queer people. Um, yeah, I just, I saw a lot of people dating and hooking up and whatever everywhere around me because I went to a super queer school. So my first kiss wasn't until I was 19 and it was in college and there was this girl that I was just like, I really like this person. I don't, I don't really get it though because I hadn't felt any kind of attraction to like girls before. And um, she always wanted to wrestle and I was like, why do I want to wrestle this person? I don't like wrestling. I hate like getting dirty. I don't want to be on the floor, but like, I really want to wrestle this person. And then I was like, oh. And so that's the person that was my first kiss, not during any kind of wrestling. Um, and I remember very clearly that um, she said one day, she was like, one of these days I'm gonna have to kiss you. And I was like, oh my God, what do I say? And then like immediately I thought of the best thing ever, which was, I guess I'll just have to look out for it then. <laughs> I was really proud of myself. I was like, that sounded smooth. I think that sounded smooth. Um, and so one night we were in my room, we were hanging out and she finally kissed me. And the funny thing is that I was like, wait, how do I do this? I don't know how to do this. Wait, how do I do this? What am I gonna do? And then instantly the, uh, the knowledge of Full House came to mind. <laughs> and on Full House, um, I remember very clearly that DJ told Stephanie just to go with the flow <laughs> and just like follow the other person's lead. And I was like, okay, I got it. And then after, um, the girl that I kissed was like, you haven't done that before? And I was like, no. And she was like, that was really good. And I was like, well, good. And then the first time I had sex was with my first girlfriend who was not the kiss person. Um, and I'm pretty sure the first time we did it was at her mom's house over like winter break. And her mom was in the next room sleeping. And like, it was under the blankets. And I think it was exciting because someone else was touching me and that was exciting. But in retrospect, <laughs> it's really boring. Um, but at the time, like I didn't have anything to compare it to. And it was, I felt safe and excited and it was probably great. But honestly, I don't even remember anything other than what I just said. I mean, we did it all the time because she was my girlfriend. Um, and we were together for, it was my longest and only relationship at the time. And it was six months and we did it all the time. And it was really fun. Or I just can't really remember much from that first time. But also we had to be quiet. Mm -hmm because her mom was right there. And so that might've been more exciting too. I mean, my best guess is we just like used our hands mm -hmm. and got each other off and made out at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's probably what we did. Yeah. 
I'm, I know for sure we didn't do anything more complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I do know that. In my experience, relationships or hooking up or dating as female was like, you get to know the person, you go on some dates, you have a kiss, the time goes on, you do it. Getting to know people as uh, in the male world is like, well, first you do it. And then if you like it, then maybe you'll date. And I just think that's so funny. At first, I was like, this is ridiculous that this is how men do this thing. But now it's kind of convenient because it's like, well, if that doesn't work, I don't really want to put in all the effort to hang out all the time. Though that also discounts the idea of like, well, sometimes the first time with someone, you gotta like work things out and then it can improve. Hands down, the most embarrassing thing that happens during sex for me is when I queef. I have hooked up with a whole bunch of cisgender guys now, and it turns out a lot of them have never heard the word queef or the process of queefing. Um, so I'll just go ahead and explain it. Uh, it's basically farting out of your front hole. Uh, that's the terminology I use for that. You can figure it out. Um, and you can't control it at all. There's no sphincter on your front hole. So if it's gonna happen, it's just gonna happen and it's probably gonna be loud. And it only happens in particular positions. And so generally I avoid those positions because I've learned. Um, but if I'm like with someone and it's like the person I'm dating, like then it's fine. But if this is a first time with someone, it's probably gonna be the only time with someone. I don't really wanna queef in front of them. And like <laughs> the thing about it that's extra awkward is that it happens and I like recoil and I laugh. And when you laugh, it <laughs> compresses everything and pushes more out. So it just, anyway, queefing is really embarrassing. God, I don't even like that word. And I've just said it like 80 times. Because, you know, if you think about it, like you're jamming air into a space. Why doesn't that happen from butts? It does happen from butts. <gasps> All the time. But it's not called a butt queef. No. <laughs> Is it just called farting? Pretty much, huh. yeah. And, and it does happen after, you know, fucking. Because <laughs> that's exactly what you're doing to the butt. You're pumping air in. Right. And it's like, well, where's it going to go? So, Yeah. I also just have like a huge block against farting in front of anyone ever, even if they're someone that I'm incredibly intimate and have with and have been for a really long time. So queefing, I equate to farting, therefore it cannot happen in front of other people. And that's the only time it would happen. It doesn't happen when I do things with myself. And if it did, I wouldn't care. So. Right. Yeah, like even my ex-boyfriend of like five years, when it would happen, I'd be like, oh my God. And we'd both end up laughing, but I'd just be really embarrassed. <laughs> also, where does the word queef come from? Who made that up? Is it supposed to be an onomatopoeia? It doesn't sound like queef. Anyway, I'm just it's, curious. It's a pretty funny word. It's a ridiculous <laughs> word. Whoever made it up had a good sense of humor. And I've literally never said it that many times in my life. <laughs>
So I have something called The Move, <laughs> little TM or copyright. And it is specifically for having sex with other trans guys. Dare I toot my own horn? I think I'm really, really, really good at jacking other trans guys off because I know how to do it on me. And I know that bodies are different, but I'm just like really proud of this move because when I've done it to other guys, they're like, oh my God, what are you doing? I've never felt that. And I'm like, it's the move. <laughs> there are a lot of different anatomies, but I'm specifically talking about trans guy anatomies for guys who are on testosterone and have been for a chunk of time um, who haven't had bottom surgery. So like they're, I just call it a peen. I just think it's the funniest word. So I'm just gonna keep calling it that. A trans dick or a trans cock or whatever is a more sexy time term, but I just think the word peen's hilarious. So um, trans guy peens, when they're like pretty big and like excited, and it varies person to person, of course. Um, definitely smaller than my thumb, but you know, whatever. Just picture a thumb for the sake of the discussion. Um, so this thumb, cause I'm right-handed, so I can only do the move with my right hand. <laughs> um, basically, it has to do with rubbing it and tugging it and pressure all at the same time, which I guess doesn't sound that original, but I'm telling you from people who have certain anatomy, who used to have to get off a certain way and now can get off a different way, it's very exciting. Yeah, I remember exactly when I came up with the move. <laughs> I figured it out on myself because what used to work didn't work anymore. Vibration stopped working altogether. And I was like, what is happening? And then one time I just, figured it out and I was very happy. Um, I think it's not that it wants different stimuli. I mean, maybe that's part of it too, but just literally what I used to do didn't work anymore mm -hmm. because the body part changed in size and shape and the nerves probably spread out. I'm not exactly sure. Anyway, it's like that, um, the move. Something that I wish that I had known back in the beginning of exploring sex and sexuality was the fact that I could actually kind of be a gay man someday. In some ways, I don't identify as gay or as male, but like that I could be with gay men sexually is something that I never thought was possible. So that would have been awesome to know. It probably would have blown my mind. Um, the second thing is that um, I wish that I had known that we don't have to make rules for ourselves. Um, you don't have to be in a particular box or like a particular thing or be relegated to a particular type of sexual practice based on who you are um, and the sex you were assigned at birth and the gender that you present as. Um, it took a long time to unpack all that stuff. Uh, so like, because I present in a masculine way, when I was female identified, people assumed that I was a top. People assumed that I was into femmes, neither of which are true at all. And it was complicated. And I tried to like fit myself into different boxes. So I wish I had known that I didn't really have to do that. And that if I'm just the most 
genuine version of myself, the most authentic, that things fall into place. So now that I live in a small shoebox and I have this beautiful loft twin bed, I'm pretty sure I'm never having sex again. But if anyone's up to the challenge, once I get it bolted to the wall, this is the place to be. So thankfully, Sam is here laughing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my God. I cannot believe that I said all of that stuff. Like <laughs> some of it I remembered saying, and then some of it I was like, what are you saying? <laughs> like what would be an example of something you're, you're a little shocked that you disclosed? I'm shocked that, I mean, I knew, I remembered I said the move. Mm -hmm. That's all fine and good. I'm still very proud of the move. TM, little <laughs> copyright. Um, I like the part where I said, um, if Playgirl, if I had known about Playgirl, I wouldn't have even needed the internet. <laughs> I feel like that's a truer statement has never been said. <laughs> um, I really had no idea that that was a thing. Right. The sort of objectification of the male body. Right. Just the same as uh, Playboy. Spectacular. Right. Didn't know. But what, what really <laughs> popped out of me and what I could identify with is when you were describing looking for porn on the internet and mm -hmm. how slow it took things to load. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Which made me uh, remember that in the early stages of my coming out process and learning about queer sex, I almost exclusively read porn mm -hmm. and I loved reading stories and there were collections of books with short stories and and that was my spank bank material for years yeah. I, I didn't really look to pictures or the internet until it became much more uh, realistic and and convenient to do that mm -hmm. and I kind of miss those days of reading porn it's kind of fun it still exists. It does exist. I mean, and there's certainly like large communities online that contribute to that. And it's mostly amateurs who are like on Reddit uh, feeds and stuff like that. But I do love that people still do it. I just I don't think it's as common as mm. it used to be because the Internet video revolution has just changed porn so much. Yeah. And I do identify with your preference for amateur porn. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing people, real people really enjoying themselves do what makes them feel good is just great. And you're also a filmmaker, so you might be more tuned in to the behind the scenes uh, necessities that involve like produced gay porn. I think some people who might look at it from a normal person's perspective, they don't really know all that goes into producing a yeah. porno. They might yeah. just sort of assume that it's real, but it's really not. Mm -hmm. Um well, when you look for porn online, what do you gravitate towards these days? It completely depends on what I'm feeling like. Mm -hmm. um, I love the website Dudes Nude. Okay. That's your go-to? <laughs> no, it's either that or Xtube, but like usually yeah. just Xtube. But Dudes Nude is fun. Yeah. Um, and that was something that I got into long before I actually had in-person hookups with cisgender men um, and like you can chat with people there's all kinds of options on there there's like a video chat room thing that used to be very exciting for mm. me and at this point I just use it to see who lives in Seattle and like as an alternative to scruff and grinder so you can you can look at local yeah postings that's nice yeah I'm gonna check that out yeah dudesnude.com it's like 
pretty old, <laughs> but I like it. Um, but yeah, otherwise it's just like Xtube, and I can find pretty much anything on that website. Um, and it runs the gamut. It really depends. And, you know, even within one, I don't know what you call that, session, um, <laughs> it it could vary completely between, you know, what bodies um, are doing what. But it's um, mostly guys. Dudes. Um, it always involves cisgender men in some capacity, and sometimes there are um, other cis guys with them. Other times there are trans guys with them. Other times there's trans women with them. Other times there's just, like, gender-bendy people with them. Okay. And sometimes there's cis women with them. Um, I think straight porn, when done in a way that is exciting, is fantastic. Yeah. Um, I just really like... Seeing people enjoying themselves. Right? That's like the point. Yep. Uh, I had another thing to say. Oh, yeah. I think it's really interesting that uh, in my interview, I talked about how when I discovered gay male porn, I was like, well, that's just the hottest thing. Mm-hmm. And I never questioned it. Mm. I was just like, well, that's obviously the hottest thing. <laughs> um, and I remember at school, a lot of people agreed with me. Which is interesting because I was in a queer women's environment and yeah. they were like, gay male porn is so great. But just really like peens. <laughs> They're magic. <laughs> they are kind of magic. Right? Ones that start out small end up getting really big. And, and then <laughs> tiny again. <laughs> right? And you're like, where did you go? It's like a little balloon. It's amazing. <laughs> um, I remember when I was watching the show The O.C., <laughs> and this was in college, and I remember the character Seth Cohen. He's not the cool one. He's not, like, the bad boy. He's the nerd guy, and he's great. And I remember being like, I both want to date him and I want to be him mm-hmm. at the same time. And I didn't understand what that meant until years later where I was like, oh, I'm trans. <laughs> I get it. Like, I want to be with someone who's masculine and I want to be masculine with them. Yeah. Um, and I realized I didn't mention that. Mm. So I well, you to... did mention Full House, though. <laughs> yeah, I did. I'm so cool. <laughs> and how it helped you with your first kiss. Yeah, it really did. It popped right into my head and I was like, just go with the flow. Okay, okay, I got this, I got this. But I mean, and in a broader sense, we're talking about how media helps us yes. find our identities. Yeah. And that is definitely a theme of this whole project is, is sure. how we use it in order to help us define ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. But your, your journey has been way more complex than most people's. Um, Certainly cisgender, heteronormative people, I would say my, my journey to figure this out has been more complex. Yeah. Um, and they just, it's just a bunch of layers, right? It's like originally coming out as queer as a female identified person and then coming out as trans and still queer and then coming out again being like, okay, I do actually want to be with cisgender men. Mm-hmm. Like that, that was a lot to figure out over a long period of time. Yeah, it almost makes my whole coming out process seem like a, like, you know really easy it's not a competition day <laughs> i know i know but sometimes we get caught up in our own narrative and, sure. and don't often think about what it's like for other queer people and and the different 
permutations, yeah. the different scenarios that could play out. Well, that's part of why this project is so awesome. Yeah, and I learned a lot by by your interview. I, you. I feel confident that I could get a trans man off now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, the important thing to always say is, what do you like? Because we're mm. all different and we all have different preferences. Right. But I bet that would go over pretty well. Yeah. Just a hunch. I bet it would. I remember the first time that I hooked up with a cisgender guy, I had all these thoughts running through my head, depending on what position we were in, about labels. And at one point I was like, I'm straight in this moment. And then mm. in another position, I was like, I'm a gay man in this moment. And I kept being like, self, shut up. Mm -hmm. Like, you are who you are. You're a combination of your experiences and your complex identity. And none of that matters about putting this all in boxes. Um, but it was really interesting how pervasive, is that mm -hmm. the right word? How pervasive those categories can be even in the moment. Um, but I stand by what I said before, which is <laughs> we are humans, we have bodies, and we like to do things with those bodies with other people's bodies, and we can leave it at that. Uh, also spreading the knowledge about queefing. Oh, yeah. I can't believe I said that word so many times. And then <laughs> I felt uh, not validated. I just felt great that I mentioned so many times. I can't believe I'm saying this so many times. <laughs> yeah. Queefing. Does it only happen as a result of sex? <laughs> well, as your local in this closet <laughs> in your room queefing expert. You're the expert. <laughs> I would say no. It actually happens other times. Wow. Okay. Um, and thankfully, in my experience, is quiet and contained to my pants. And it doesn't smell, right? Nope. No. <laughs> I mean, maybe it does, but I'm not... No one's really over there right then. <laughs> right. I doubt it. It probably, if it's happening during sex, it just smells more like sex. Right. Like, that's a given. But it doesn't smell like farts. Not even close. And I was going to make an update, uh, which is I can do the move with my left hand. Oh, good. I, I mm. think I had forgotten, and I was recently <laughs> reminded of mm. that skill. Okay, well, now we know. Yeah. Ambidextrous. Ambidextrous with the move. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> It's another good skill. Yeah. Oh, also, my bed is now firmly bolted to the wall, so apply within. <laughs> <laughs> Open for business. Yep. <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah. I think the only other thing is just I'm really happy that I said those lessons to myself mm -hmm. um, at the end, I think. Not policing our labels for ourselves so yeah. strictly is really, really freeing and um, helps us genuinely be our authentic selves. Because yeah. as human beings, we try to label things and put them in categories. And I can understand, and for myself, it was true. It was helpful for figuring things out. But I think then their usefulness becomes less helpful. Um, and letting those labels go and just enjoying bodies and people. Right. Um, yeah. I think is a really big, it's a big thing for me. It's a big thing for most queer people to sort of shed all of that baggage mm -hmm. and then just make sure that you're having fun and mm -hmm. being safe and authentic and, and your partner's having a good time too. And that's all that really matters. Yeah. 
that's my favorite part of every interview is really my last question. And the question I ask specifically is, if you could go back in time and and tell yourself one thing you've learned about having sex, what would it be? Well, thank you for allowing me to interview you. Of course. And, and also coming here and listening to it. Because I know from experience that that is difficult sometimes to to listen to yourself. I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> I personally hate it. I don't know what we're going to do when I get to my interview, but I'm going to I'm going to soldier through and listen yes. to it. Fruit Bowl is a production of Fruit Bowl Media. All rights reserved. Check out fruitbowlpodcast.com to find out more about the project. Thanks for listening. <laughs>